0: This is IA Story Share, a podcast from Imagining America, where publicly engaged artists, designers, scholars, students, and other community members share stories about their life and work. Our first series of conversations comes from people who attended the 2017 Imagining America National Conference, which was held in and around Davis, California. This time, a conversation between Carol Mank and Trina Noval. Carol is an architect, artist, and educator who's worked in architecture practices in London, San Francisco, and Tokyo. Through her work at the intersection of art and cities, she seeks to create thought-provoking interventions in situations and places of everyday life. Trina is an arts educator and a community and digital media artist. Her interdisciplinary work crosses experience design, social practice, science, digital media, community engagement, and food adventures. Lately, she's been exploring the role of collective thinking and actions in a variety of contexts and collaboration has become an important part of her work process. Trina and Carol are friends and have also collaborated on several projects. They discuss their professional and creative paths, the need to be proactive to connect with people, and how art can change people and place.
1: So what do you care about,
2: Trina? Oh, God. (laughs) It's a loaded question. Well, I care deeply about my child. Oh, good. Because, you know, that's where you have to put a lot of energy in so they can make a better world tomorrow. Um, You know, family is very important to me and friends, and I care deeply about um, having a creative practice in the world that feels like it's engaging in ideas with others I'm not really interested in like making things to put on a gallery wall I, I just don't really care about that so I care about creative actions in the world that help change thinking yeah what do you care about? ah <laughs>
1: um, I care about trying to make some sort of contribution to the world in return for what I've received, Mm -hmm. I suppose. (coughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Today we talked about, there was, in our last thing, there was a thing about community, and I said, I don't know that I have a community. But I think of the world as something we create together, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to participate in Mm -hmm. creating it better Mm
2: -hmm. I also care about the land which is our land is on fire right now so Mm -hmm. yeah I care about the land
1: so can you give me an, an example of an experience in your life that led you to your work with community engaged um
2: learning yeah you know I I went to graduate school and when I was in graduate school I um I kind of – I was in a very privileged place where my graduate program had a huge endowment. So they were bringing in all these big-time muckamucks mm-hmm. who would be teaching us from New York and all over the place. And um, and that was kind of mind-boggling. But what it actually did to me was it made me feel kind of disgusted by the art world as well. <laughs> and so I think at that juncture in time is when I realized, like, I don't really want to make art that hangs on the wall. That's just not what – it. it doesn't feel like the right thing for me to be doing. So – Um, I think that's when I kind of turned my my thinking towards the idea of, um, you know, how do you really engage people actually in the world? Um, And I didn't really necessarily uh, fully start that work then, but it was definitely the seed of that work. Can you
1: tell me about someone in your life who made a life-changing impact, Hmm. whether personally, professionally, or spiritually? I guess what I'm asking is what you described as kind of a negative Reaction. Uh-huh. Was there also a positive one? Was there some oh. somebody
2: who came well, along and made you think, well, Oh, I want to do this? I don't know if it was some any one person. Um but it just felt when I kind of came to that realization, it actually felt good to me. Mm. So um, I just felt you like, knew. Oh, I can actually do that. I don't have to do this. But how did it come to you? Uh mm, I don't know. It was kind of like organic in a way. I mean, I think I've been thinking about it for a long time. And um I kind of grew up in a household um, where we were encouraged to think outside the box. Mm. And uh, my father, you know, I think my father was a very, he was a scientist, but he was a very eccentric thinker about the world. And so I think that um, he kind of made me think that I didn't have to conform to something I could actually sort of carve my own path. Mm. So maybe that, and I don't know, I just think that there it was sort of a, convergence probably of a lot of different things and just feeling sort of like um you know i went to graduate school in in the kind of postmodernism era and so it was probably also part of that reaction <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah how about you how about me because you had a you had this professional architecture practice yeah that was also very commercial
1: right and career so yeah in are. architecture and i changed I've sort of changed direction. You know, I lived in Japan for mm-hmm. a long time, and while I was there, I made friends with a group of people who are a part of an art—it's uh, practice. Mm-hmm. They—they've uh, become curators of public art on a kind of mm-hmm. big scale. But when I met them, they were—they're called Art Front. Mm-hmm. And I always picture that as coming out of the sixties student uprisings in Japan, mm-hmm. which happened around uh, anyway I won't go into that, but anyway, mm-hmm. it was quite formative for people mm-hmm. of a certain gener mm-hmm. of that generation
2: mm-hmm. when were you in japan what were what <clears throat> year was it um
1: uh, well, I got to know them in the um nineties mm-hmm. i'd been there before mm-hmm. but uh in the nineties and uh, um they were starting a um it's a it's a long complicated story, but they were starting a triennial triennial mm. in, uh, art festival in a mm-hmm. rural area mm-hmm. in Niigata, mm-hmm. um, an area that has huge snowfall and mm. is kind of isolated and depopulated because all the young people were mm-hmm. not just going to the cities. Their families wanted them to go to the mm-hmm. cities to mm-hmm. have a better life. Um, so everybody was pretty old and. They were starting this art triennial, and I went, not the first one, but the second one. I went as a kind of a volunteer. Mm-hmm. I did interpreting and stuff. And um, I found it really exciting because the work, the artwork was was in the place and it and it although they were quite famous artists mm-hmm. involved, um, when you you drove around this huge area. Seventy-five square kilometers, mm-hmm. something like that. Maybe it's—I I can't remember the size, but it's big. You drive for a long time. You also drive by rice terraces and mm. villages built with in special ways, mm-hmm. and so all these kind of cultural artifacts and constructions and buildings and traditional w- knowledge mm-hmm. um, made manifest in the landscape. Um, and then you'd come to an artwork that was some kind of response to that. And I found the artwork really intriguing, uh, really outside of my experience (laughs) of art, Mm -hmm. but also that the way that looking at that as art, suddenly you looked at that thing, which is art, and then you looked over there and this amazing stone wall that somebody built. You're sort of like... Like a... a
2: you Not know. a stone wall that an artist
1: built, but just a like, yeah, a, like person, a beautiful the village wall yeah. that a yeah. community yeah. built, you know, who knows when. Yeah. And then I went back and I eventually did an architecture project there. And then I did, I, I applied and was one of the artists commissioned over a number of years. And I watched that place change. Mm. Um, you could question, you know, was this change good or bad? But in some ways, it was an incredible change. I mean... Uh, these people who lived there had never been outside of Japan, but through this connection, a whole group of them went to Britain to do a project with some of the artists who were in their village. Mm. You know, there was a lot mm-hmm. of different mm-hmm. stuff that went on, mm-hmm. so it was a real sense of how mm-hmm. how art could mm-hmm. completely change um, a place and also change how they saw themselves politically. And that was one of the goals of the people who started. And so when I said there wasn't a person or there was a person, the guy who started that has that in mind. So Mm -hmm. in a sense, he was an inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. His name is Kitayama Mm -hmm. Anyway, Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. Kitayama.
2: I think that once you start down that path, you start to find people that inspire you to keep keep going. Mm. You know, because I actually... I guess once I made that decision, then I just kind of started to find people or even encounter people that were, you know, inspired me to keep going. So who were they, for example? Mm. I don't know, just other artists, friends who were kind of thinking about the same thing. Um, People that were willing to collaborate, you know, kind of step out of their their own studios and collaborate. I think... um, you know, people, uh, when I came to San Francisco, I worked in a nonprofit, and so people that I engaged with there, I just kind of people along the path that you, once you, I think once you put yourself on a path, you start to encounter people who, you know, want to engage in the way that you want to engage. I just want to
1: ask about collaboration. You collaborate with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. and I know it's something that you want to do, but how... How did you,
2: what made you start to do that? Well, see, that's the process that happened for me in graduate school. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that by nature, I'm a really curious person. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm curious, and and I'm also very social, and I like people and being with them and working with them and talking and thinking about ideas together. Um, So I guess maybe in that sense, maybe I'm a community-oriented type of person anyway, because I like to be in the... In in community with others, um, and um, so so is it
1: the wanting to know how other people think, or is it wanting to be I, I in think solidarity?
2: I, I, well, it's more about like the idea of you know solving a problem. I don't feel like I can do it by myself. I feel like it takes other minds to come together around an idea mm. and try to figure it out. And I guess that's sort of what I like. Mm-hmm. And I've been, and also because I've been in education for so long and teaching, that to me is a collaborative process too. It's I, I, I like to, to think about my classroom as a place where we're constructing knowledge together. Yeah. So, um, and I just you know like I'm interested in people and how they think and what they think about and how that kind of like feeds how I can think about things. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably where it came from. Mm-hmm.
0: At this point in the conversation, Trina needs to step away, so our IA Story Share facilitator, Hannah Adamy, steps in to continue the exploration. Hannah is a Ph.D. student in ethnomusicology at UC Davis and served as a graduate student researcher for Engaged Scholarship and Engaged Learning at the university.
3: I know very little about you, so...
1: Yes, but I know nothing about you. That's You've right. just listened to me talk, so I have to ask you what you care about
3: what what I care about (laughs) I also care about uh community engaged practice and I similarly to Trina actually came to it in a graduate program in an institution of higher learning um my I grew up the daughter of a minister and a scientist and um so I liked the thought of doing productive, engaging uh, knowledge work um, in a community setting wow. and valuing yeah, valuing uh, knowledge beyond scientific knowledge. Uh, and because I always loved music and dance and the arts um, and... And it it was such a shock to me when I realized that those things uh, had a value and meaning that there was a language to explain, and so I gravitated toward the all the people in indigenous studies and feminist studies and uh, Chicanx studies who were speaking in a way that resonated with me, even though I was I grew up white and middle class. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I don't... So why did it resonate? I don't know why. What was resonating? Um, that's an excellent question. Mm. I think there were all these thoughts and feelings I had always had, mm-hmm. um, mainly, mainly, that mainly manifested as shame or an inability to communicate with others, Or not knowing the value of communicating with others. And then suddenly there were all these scholars talking about the human body as a site of scholarly knowledge. Mm. And I thought, wow. (laughs) You can do that? (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's possible. And they were talking about space and um, how the design of something mattered, that form and function were linked, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, beauty was culturally constructed, mm. and th- there were different ways to be all these things and to do these things. Mm. And I thought I never would have even thought of that if I had just bubbled myself in mm. and cried. Uh but here you are putting yourself out there in a bodily way mm. in in all your shame maybe yeah. it's
1: amazing i mean i do know something about you because i know that you studied opera and that you um are studying ethnomusicology wow. uh, particularly inuit throat singing <laughs> so i so i have to say that because One of the things that I think is so amazing about singing is the fact that it comes with you. I mean, it is yourself as an instrument. And that just seems amazing to me that you you don't need other tools, you know to do architect- I used to do architecture to be an architect i need so many tools <laughs> mm-hmm. what are some
3: of the tools of the architect oh
1: well i mean it used to be i suppose it used to be not so many i don't know it used to be a pencil and a good table and a, something that helped you to draw in a straight lines mm-hmm. parallel straight lines um and yeah, now you needed to be able to calculate stuff and you need to be able to make copies of it and send it and, and uh, you know, get it budgeted, get somebody to agree to it, have somebody have the money, have the planning department like it or not like it and make the changes you need to do, mm. a million things. And then in the end, after all of that, you might have a building which hopefully you like, but it's actually not yours to use. And you might not even be able to get into once it's opened. (laughs) Does that ever happen to you? (laughs) Yeah, sort of. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, I remember the actually, I remember one time on this uh, conference center, big hall, huge 5,000 seat conference hall. And I'd been working on it for six years and I met the opening party and they are, there there were something like, I don't know, five thousand people there who all felt that they'd made this building. Wow. And I I remember at the party thinking, it's not mine. It's really not mine. Even though I picked that carpet and I went to the factory and you know, I did all this stuff to make it exist. Anyway, Getting back to singing, what an amazing thing that you can make something from yourself. Are you a singer? I'm sure it's not that easy. Have have you seen? Do you like to sing? I like to sing, but I can't. I'm not a singer. Uh, I just like to sing.
3: I feel like that's what everyone says, but I feel like everyone can sing.
1: Well, everyone can sing
3: something. And that's (laughs)
1: one of the wonderful things, actually, in my life of being able to travel, because you actually... Well, I, uh, opera, it's interesting to think about opera because I lived in Japan and I did, I did, I studied no theater for a while. And, uh, that has a kind of singing in it. Kind yes, of chanting. Mm-hmm. And you do it by like this. You're the teacher. You sing to me. I sing back it, or speak or what I don't know if you'd call it singing sort of singing. And it's all within an average person's range. And the movements you do are also all within an average person's range, but they're very difficult to do well. But I always found it interesting to compare it to ballet or opera, Western arts that like, are so extended that only a very, very few small group of people could ever even imagine getting there. It's not even about imagining. You either can. It's imagining, but also you've got to have the physical ability to even strive for it. Mm -hmm. And that I found really interesting, that you could have art, fine, amazing, detailed, beautiful, moving art that's actually within the range of anybody to do. Is that how you... In the range. (laughs) You still have to do it. Actually, (laughs) and you You might not ever be able to do it, but you Mm can. It feels like you can. Mm. I don't know. It's kind of interesting maybe the, to think about accessibility in that way.
3: Oh, yeah. And uh, just thinking about if you have enough discipline, if you have enough time.
1: Yes. You could maybe do those things. Well, I mean, there it's a traditional art with a traditional hierarchy and money and all this other stuff. So it's not like you just walk in there and do it. But
3: in theory... Did you come to know through uh, doing architecture in Japan or? um, I, I went
1: there on a number of different extended trips. And on the second one, I lived with a family who just did know singing as a part of their life. So I went along to the lessons and then just started the lessons. And then later when I was back in Japan again, I found another teacher and I... Did it sort of properly for a few years, Mm -hmm. yeah. Until, strangely, I stopped because I finally realized that other people were spending a lot of money allowing me to do it because they kind of didn't. Nobody really explained to me, or I didn't really understand how the system worked. Mm -hmm. So I would—they'd say, "There's a recital. You need clothes. Oh, here's an outfit for you, Carol." And you know, here people just made it possible for me to do it and then i suddenly realized later that they were buying things and that that just being in the recital was the equivalent of five or six hundred dollars and somebody had paid it for me without you know so when i started to realize that i sort of backed out of those things but um anyway it was it was a wonderful experience i think just that learning in that traditional sense of something somebody amazing sitting there and singing to me alone in a room Mm -hmm. and then asking me to respond to it. It was mind-blowing, actually.
3: Yeah. When you backed out, did you feel guilty that people were spending this money on Uh, you?
1: I I mean, they did it because they wanted to. I didn't feel bad about that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't back out of the lessons, I just backed out of the recitals and things. Mm -hmm. So, because I paid, I paid for my lessons, and mm-hmm. this other stuff I didn't know about. Mm. I stopped doing but oh.
3: anyway, it's amazing how much money influences things. I have no doubt yeah. those five thousand people were- pro- uh, in that uh in that conference center were mm. donors probably were they donors were yeah, some of them I don't donors? know who they were <laughs> Who were they five thousand of them
1: <laughs> on the on the outside of the building, though, we did make a plaque. this is kind of unusual it's the only building where i've been involved in but it listed every single person who was involved in building the building so all the workmen are listed it's a list of i don't know a couple thousand people and my name's on there so that's kind of fun my name's on a building in yokohama
3: (laughs) (laughs) anyway all of the collaborators
1: yes it was good how well, did you get into doing the story booth that stuff?
3: Well, I um, had the good fortune of applying for and being selected to be a graduate student researcher uh-huh. for um, an initiative through UC Davis, the Engaged Scholarship and Engaged Learning mm-hmm. Initiative. And we are trying to... Uh, get a sense of what community engagement looks like at UC Davis and what the university can do to better foster Mm -hmm. community engaged practice at the university. Um, So inviting Imagining America
1: Ah. here was part of it.
3: Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. And part of my job will be to go around the campus um, interviewing faculty about the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. So... Mm-hmm. how can we better support faculty doing really amazing interesting important work yeah that the kind that doesn't get the funding
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's how, interesting
3: how can you get the how can you get the money the resources the yeah. time how can you value this kind of scholarship in tenure and promotion those kind of things wow so we're going to we're going to find it out right
0: that was Carol Mank, Trina Noval, and Hannah Adamy, who participated in IA Story Share at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference. At the end of each session, we asked everyone who shared with us to also complete the sentence I imagine an America.
3: I imagine an America that listens more and has a reverence for multiple historical perspectives. We are divided, right? We hear that all the time. But maybe we just need to listen more.
0: <laughs> to hear those short segments, go to our website, imaginingamerica.org, and click on IA Story Share. You can subscribe to the IA Story Share podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And if you'd like to contact the IA Story Share project, our email address is connect at imaginingamerica.org. The views presented in this podcast are not necessarily those of Imagining America, the University of California, Davis, or the University of California Regents. Our opening theme music is by Joe Kai. Our closing music today is by Gabriel Reynolds. Imagining America, artists and scholars in public life, is a national consortium of academic institutions and cultural organizations based at the University of California, Davis.